Industry-leading, difference-making, tomorrow-shaping, world-changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media. We are coming to you from the Vivid Seats studio. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime and co-host. You know him. You love him. As the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com, he is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we finally got a little bit of good news on a couple of injury fronts, actually. On Wednesday and Thursday, we had uh, finally the needle move for Bryce Callahan. He didn't practice Wednesday, but he was limited as a participant. He actually did participate on Thursday, and then Todd Davis practiced limited both Wednesday and Thursday. So Callahan's still up in the air, and even though Davis is technically still as well, he's trending toward playing. Yeah, it's looking like Davis will go and, you know, say what you want about him, but they did miss him against Oakland and they need him in the middle of that defense. The Bears do have a pretty smash mouth running game and they need him right there next to Josie Jewell. Uh, In terms of Callahan, I would assume this gives him some sort of chance of playing, but considering how much time he's missed, how much rust he has. I'd be surprised, barring a, a quick healing process. If he played this week, I would get him 100% or close to it, ready to go for week three against Aaron Rodgers. That, that's what I would do if I was Fangio. Dude, I didn't realize this, but Josie Jewell played 100% of snaps against the Raiders. He was on the field for every single defensive snap, and he had a phenomenal game. It was a career-high 13 tackles, earned uh, positive grades from Eric Trickle's grading system, earned positive grades from Pro Football Focus. Great game, but playing 100% of snaps – not exactly the best in terms of, you know, in the second half he was pretty gassed, and especially where this season's just getting going. Now the flip side to that is we knew that Corey Nelson was going to factor into this linebacker situation with Todd Davis kind of on ice for a little bit and, you know, just being signed on the doorstep of the season. But 
I did not foresee him playing as much as he did. He ended up being on the field. Nelson, he started next to Josie Jewell, not Alexander Johnson, who was with Fangio all through the spring, all through the summer. It was Nelson who started. Johnson didn't play a single defensive snap against the Raiders. Nelson played 46 snaps, but here's where things get skewampus. I know you guys love it when I use that word. He only had one tackle. He was on the field for 84% of the Broncos' defensive snap sack, but Corey Nelson only managed one tackle. That's why they need Todd Davis. Yeah, the takeaway from that is Fangio obviously misses having some veteran in there. And as good as Josie Jewell played, he's only a second-year player, and they need a, a experienced guy next to him. Whether that's Davis, whether that's Corey Nelson, who I'm a big fan of, I think he played pretty well. I wouldn't look at the tackle as him being indicative of having a, a bad game or a down game. Uh, the way the game flow went was the Raiders were just moving the ball through the air primarily and just you know stretching it out on the sides of the defenses. But hopefully Davis is back because you don't want to thrust Jewel to the number one spot, and then you don't want to thrust Nelson to the number two spot. You'd like to have depth in that area and then bring on Alexander Johnson as the, the fourth young guy, the, you know, the token young guy in that core. So if they can do that, uh, the, the group as a whole will be more stacked. Davis gives them just a lot more versatility absolutely and the thing is too i mean in a perfect world you want todd davis and josie jewel stopping the run on first and second down and then it's great to have suddenly a guy like Corey nelson who can come in on third down and run with a tight end i mean in, in his career high season and when i say career high i mean the one nfl season in which he played the most on defense that was in 2016 for the denver broncos he started six games he had like 61 tackles but he finished as the number two coverage linebacker in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. So that's a formula that I could see working for the Broncos. Davis, Jewell, first down, second down, third down, you rotate Nelson in. It is keeping guys more fresh. So that's what the team has envisioned. It's just a matter of getting Davis back out on the field. Yeah, and then you can move him around, like you said, on passing downs. You can cover the tight end. And if he plays against Chicago, uh, that tight end is Trey Burton, who's had kind of an up-and-down uh, tenure with them so far. He's battled some injuries, but he's a good pass-catching tight end. If he plays, if he goes, if he's 100%, um, he could give the Broncos problems. So sticking Nelson on him or a safety, that could you know give the, the Broncos flexibility. But just having another man there, a fresh body. And people think Davis is the end-all, be-all, the answer to the, the Broncos' woes. We all forget you know, it's all the recency bias. We all forget about how bad he played last year, but because the Broncos are so thin this year, we all want it back. He will help. But we all have to remember, though, he's not a three-down player. Those are going to have problems against the pass. And like you said, Chad, that's where Nelson comes into play. I like the pickup yeah. then, and it's benefiting the Broncos now. I just think that that's you're you're already seeing the Fangio bump with regard to Jewel, and I'm just really excited to see it how it plays out for Davis because Jewel. I mean, I don't have his every every game last year, his game logs right in front of me, but I'd be willing to bet that in the first game under Vic Fangio, his career high in tackles, he doubled probably what his previous career high is. So Davis, I mean, who knows? We don't know what his ceiling is. We know what some of his limitations are, but in Fangio's scheme, I think we could see him you know, bust through what his, his ceiling appeared to be over the last couple of years in Denver. I think he can get to another level. But today, you guys... It's all about the Mile High Mailbag, getting to what's on your mind. We're going to tackle that, answer all your questions here in just a second. First, just a couple of quick matters of business. i got to remind you guys to follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, especially all of our new listeners. That's how you keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. If you guys are liking what you're hearing, go over to Apple Podcasts, give us a creative review and a five-star rating. We really appreciate that. And then at the end of the month, we're going to give away some swag to a couple of randomly drawn names from reviewers on Apple Podcasts during the month of September. 
And our YouTube listeners, you guys are awesome. The engagement's great. The subscriber list is growing by the day. So you guys are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Just a reminder to a lot of you who are listening but not subscribing, hit that subscribe button and make sure you don't miss a single podcast or video we publish on the Mile High Huddle YouTube channel. Fantasy football season is here, and this season there are more ways to win than ever because FanDuel has more ways to win cash prizes and once-in-a-lifetime experiences during every single game, every single week. If you never played FanDuel fantasy football before, that's great because new users get $20 insight credit if they deposit $20. Each and every year, fantasy football helps hardcore fans like us and even the casual fans to get that much more passionate and involved in the NFL regular season. But don't get stuck in a lineup that you're going to regret. With FanDuel, you can pick a new team each and every week. FanDuel is way more flexible with your options. And the injuries and busts, guess what? They don't end your season. Plus, you get the chance to win millions of dollars. Sign up for FanDuel now and get $20 in total bonus. Just make your first deposit of $20 to get started, and you'll get an extra $5 in site credit every week for four weeks. Go to FanDuel.com slash DFS Fantasy. That's FanDuel.com slash DFS Fantasy or download the FanDuel app. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, Zach, you guys, it is that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests, and each and every week we're here to offer you the absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And the first one, we got we to gotta dial it back to earlier in the week. We got this one from a fella by the name of Mike Brown on Twitter, at MikeBro544, a bunch of numbers. Mike, you might want to shorten that Twitter handle, bro. He says, hey, guys, sorry to be blowing you guys up, but I just got an article about some corners. I like the idea of moving Kareem Jackson back to cornerback and bringing in Eric Berry or someone. What's your take? Zach, with how bad the corners were outside of Chris Harris in the opener, I wouldn't be opposed to that now that the Broncos have $12 bucks sitting there on the salary cap. However, I don't think the team is all that interested in moving Kareem Jackson away from that strong safety role, and he played really well in that role in the opener. 
Yeah, he killed it. He was among the few defensive bright spots for Denver. Uh, they should absolutely leave him at safety. I was opposed to that move initially. I thought he should play cornerback uh, or at least split his duties, but he looked really good at safety. I wouldn't mess with that. But, Chad, this is why the Broncos got Duke Dawson. What did you give up a draft pick for if not to play the guy cornerback? Okay, Yadam had a bad game. It, it might be an outlier. It might be a side of things to come. But you have a guy you just picked up, a young guy. You already invested in him. Why would you spend more money on an on a older, uh, I guess you could say, broken down outside player when you already have young talent on the roster who you think can fit in this coaching scheme I'd rather give the players in house the chance and just hope that game against the Raiders which is a, a first game jitters it was an outlier it didn't mean anything I, I look for an improvement in the secondary this week against Chicago and that's basically what Fangio echoed this week he was asked I think it was Thursday you know hey with how badly Adam got picked on and Bryce Callahan's health situation still being up in the air are you guys considering, now that you have some cap space, maybe adding a veteran corner? Because Aaron Colvin, for example, was cut by the Texans uh, earlier this week. And Fangio basically, to paraphrase him, said, look, we just added a couple guys brand new to the team on the on the doorstep of the season in Devontae Harris and Duke Dawson. We just got to get those guys trained up and then involved, and we're going to be okay. So the Broncos are aware of what's going on in terms of how bad Isaac Yadam was. They're going to have to find a better way to help protect him if Callahan doesn't end up being able to go against the Bears. And then also just keep bodies fresh. Rotate in, guys. Rotate in Devontae Bosby. Rotate in more, you know, Devontae Harris. Rotate in Duke Dawson. And just try and and figure out which combination is going to work so long as Bryce Callahan is sidelined. Now, next question here, Zach, comes from Swedish Bronco on Twitter. He says, with Tim Patrick out, how will this affect the special teams as River Craycraft doesn't cover punts, uh, punts and kick returns? Also, with Patrick's injury, will Juwan Winfrey see the field against the Bears? I think to tackle that second question first, Zach, it's uh, pretty likely you're going to see Juwan Winfrey at least suit up against the Bears. Whether or not he sees the field on offense remains to be seen, but he will play some special teams. But he does bring up a good point in terms of punt coverage. That's something that Tim Patrick chips in on, especially with Brendan Langley being no more in Denver. What do you think the Broncos are going to do to you know, acclimate to his, his loss in that sense? Well, on specials, you have Spencer, who's already the punt returner, so just let him handle some gunning duties and hopefully you can get by. I mean, I don't think losing Patrick is going to devastate that side of the ball. Uh, if anything, it would hurt the offensive side more, and even then, you just drafted Juwan Winfrey, who, in my opinion, had a, a better training camp and a better summer than Tim Patrick. It seemed like he made more plays and they had more chemistry, so now he gets more opportunity. Um, I like Tim Patrick as a player, but like we said on yesterday's pod, uh, it, it's not an overly big loss for me. It's not something that's going to torpedo their season. He's a good guy, a good player, but they can definitely manage because they've stocked themselves so well with capable pass catchers. To kind of piggyback on that, the next question comes from Jedi Joshua 58 longtime listener of the show, former VIP subscriber. He says, do you guys think Jawan Winfrey makes good on his opportunity with Patrick being out? So, Basically, as it stood before Patrick got hurt, Winfrey brought up the rear in terms of the wide receiver depth chart. Now, we know Deontay Spencer was brought in, and technically he's a receiver, but in terms of participating in offense, it really ended with Jawan Winfrey, and now he jumps from that fifth spot to that fourth spot. And I think, and we talk about this on the show quite often, that 
Unfortunately, injuries happen. We know that. But the silver lining is that's oftentimes how teams discover what other players on the roster who are less experienced and have had less opportunities, what they can really bring to the table. And we'll see whether or not Juwan Winfrey can capitalize or really how big of an opportunity this opens up for him. But I like his odds. He's a very interesting, very talented young player. I just think he needs some some time on task, as Vangio likes to say, and some opportunities, some snaps on the field with that first-team offense. But when you've got Sutton and Sanders playing at a high level, Hamilton played at a high level with the exception of that drop in the end zone. I'm not sure how many snaps might go his way, but hey, right. man, the opportunity that at least the next eight games is going to be there for Juwan Winfrey. It's a double-edged sword, I would say, because there's so many receivers in front of him. It's going to be hard for him to get some uh, meaningful snaps with the first-team offense. But in another sense, there won't be that much pressure on him to perform right away because you have a veteran in Sanders who looked really good against the Raiders, and you have Sutton who has the best chemistry with uh, Joe Flacco. And like Hamilton, like you said, I don't really consider that to be a sign of things to come. That was a fluke drop for him. Normally he has very good hands, and he's still going to be uh, targeted pretty heavily this year. Uh, Winfrey will contribute. He will get his snaps. and I think he will contribute some on specials and have a positive impact there. Uh, the Patrick injury, though, you know, if there's any side of the ball, it affects more. It's definitely offense. All right, next question came from Drew Hollenbach, but Drew, we I think we pretty much addressed the state, the status of Todd Davis, Bryce Callahan, and what to expect with Patrick out on uh, offense and special teams. So, next question comes from Rock Chalk Broncos. He says, "Do you see Fangio dialing up more blitzes to get pressure on the QB? Rushing only four or five didn't come close to getting to Derek Carr. One of the few plays to pressure him was when Josie Jewell was sent up the middle. Unfortunately, he slipped." and was sidestepped by Carr. I think, Rock Chalk, the biggest thing here is the pass rush is going to be helped tremendously if the front seven can do its job on first and second down. One of the reasons why Derek Carr was able to basically go completely untouched, he wasn't sacked and he wasn't even hit against the Broncos, was because they consistently had you know second and six, and then third and two, third and three. And when you're that close to converting on third down, the playbook opens up, and you can get rid of the ball on, on as soon as your, your back foot hits the, the end of your drop, boom, unload it. And that's what Carr was able to do. So if the Broncos can elevate their intensity level, Zach, here's how I see it. They elevate that intensity. They execute better on first and second down. All of a sudden, you're going to see that the opportunities to get pressure with those four or five rushers. I mean, we're talking about Von Miller and Bradley Chubb here. It's going to go up, uh, you know, many fold. Yeah, I'm not going to be afraid to say that Chubb and Von Miller did not have good games against Oakland. They should have played better. Uh, in, in normal circumstances, they would have played better. We can talk about the Raiders coaching. We can talk about the Broncos defensive line. But those are two highly touted pass rushers who have to win their one-on-ones, and that did not happen against Oakland. That being said, though, I would expect Fangio, uh, knowing the opponent, being at home, coming off a loss where he feels more pressure to win, I think he's going to find his groove in this game. I could definitely see the Broncos setting seven, eight guys at Trubisky and overwhelming a young quarterback. This is not uh, the same experienced signal caller like Derek Carr, who knows where to go with the ball, who's been around the game and has taken the hits and paid his dues. Trubisky is still a, a young guy, but he's not really a franchise guy, cemented just yet. The Broncos can get in his head easily and all afternoon. They did it to Jared Goff last year. That was Bradley Chubb's coming out party. He needs to bring that same ability, Von Miller too, and a Vic Fangio defense, win those one-on-ones and get to Trubisky. But uh, it, it was unlike Fangio to not be aggressive. It was unlike Fangio not to send blitzes. I would look for that to change uh, tenfold this week. I look for them to harass uh, Trubisky from the outset. 
And for what it's worth, you guys, I'm, I know that uh, a lot of you listen to the Bear Report podcast, not the one where they were on our show, but where we appeared on their show. And in that, they asked for a prediction, and I predicted Broncos losing. I've actually changed my mind. The more I've studied the Bears over the last 24 hours, and especially Mitch Trubisky, I'm changing my pick. And, and I think, you know, I have time to, Zach, because we haven't published the Mile High Roundtable yet. More information, for me anyway, has come to light because I've had more opportunity to study it. I think Trubisky's swimming right now. I think yep. he's um, he's kind of in a, in a position where the Broncos can exploit him. If they can get better execution, as I've said, on first and second down, stopping the run and taking away that aspect of the Bears' offensive attack, that puts so much pressure on Trubisky and really renders that Bears' offense one-dimensional. And he's just not... I mean, for all the flack that Derek Carr gets, you know, and the disrespect that he gets, mainly because he's he's an Oakland Raiders quarterback, you got to remember, he's been to multiple Pro Bowls, and he's a guy that was in the MVP conversation in 2016. And from that point forward, he dealt with two significant injuries and a lot of team turmoil around him. And so he's he's an underrated quarterback. And I think fans, at least in Denver, this should, this should be a cold hard realization. After the last three matchups the Broncos have had against him, yeah, they beat him one of those times in Denver. But as we talked about on a couple pods back, in the last three matches against the Broncos, he's only thrown 15 incompletions. I mean, mm-hmm. most quarterbacks throw that many in a single game. 15 in three games. Derek Carr is a very talented and poised. You put some pieces around him, especially like the Raiders appear to have done, even without Antonio Brown now long gone, he can make some hay. And the Broncos, you know, he again, he doesn't get a lot of uh, love or respect, I should say, in the Broncos fan base. But the team, the locker room, they respect what Derek Carr can do. Flip that coin to, to Mitch Trubisky, Zach, and I think he's, like I said, I think he's swimming, and I think the Broncos are going to be able to exploit that. The, however, here's the thing, though. That Bears defense, I was looking at the numbers today uh, as I was putting together the Game Week Hub at milehighhuddle.com, looking at the head-to-head comparisons. That Bears defense, I know they don't have Vic Fangio, but they were still pretty phenomenal against Green Bay last year or last week, I should say, and that's going to be a stiff test. If the Broncos at home... They get a little bit of a surge from the home crowd, a little bit of energy flow and play with a lot more intensity than they came out with last week. Even if they can get 10 points on the board this week, if that's all that the offense can muster, Joe Flacco and company, I think that's going to be enough to, to take down Mitch Trubisky. On Derek Carr, I mean, we talked about it multiple times on multiple pods. I don't understand the, the hate that he has within the Broncos fan base. I know it's it's a rivalry team. And I know he's kind of an eccentric guy in a sense, but he's a pretty underrated quarterback, and he showed on Monday night what he can do when he's protected and when he has good coaching. That being said, though, Trubisky is not Carr like we've been talking about, Chad, the last couple minutes. He, they're just two different quarterbacks right now, and if the Bears were smart, they would hide him as much as possible, hope they get that running game going on the road, kill some clock. Uh, get some touchdowns and let the defense win the game like we all talked about on the on the crossover pod though the bears pod this is two completely identical teams right now really good defense and lackluster offense and whoever uh, like you just touched on whoever can get to 10 or 14 points that might just be enough the big difference though is the bears are actually at least in one game right all we have is one game sample size the bears are at least capitalizing and playing like a good defense the Broncos' defense did not play at their talent level last week. So if they can change that and turn that ship around, man, sky's going to be the limit for this team because that defense has the talent to be just as smothering and just as oppressive 
as the Bears. But yeah, it's going to be a head-to-head, and we'll see how it shakes out. But I'm I'm switching my pick. I don't know. I haven't formulated what my score is going to be. Stay tuned for that, and look for it on uh, the Mile High Roundtable at MileHighHuddle.com. That'll publish on Friday. So look look out for that later on Friday afternoon. But meantime, you guys, we got to get to all the great YouTube questions. We're going to tackle that here on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, Zach, let's uh, take some of the questions here. All of the questions, anyway, from our YouTube community. This one comes from Eclipse Stormborn, longtime listener, great listener. He says, hey, fellas, I absolutely loved the pod today. Very reminiscent of my favorite episode, Know Your Enemy, with the Chiefs guy. I don't know how hard it would be, but if possible, you guys should do this with every opponent this season. Also, do you guys think Isaac Yadam will step it up this week against the Bears because he was getting straight up torched? By the Raiders, keep up the great work. Peace from Philly. Thanks, Eclipse. By the way, we are going to try and do it as often as we can this year. We do have a Packers guy on deck for next week, so stay tuned for that. But uh, we'll do it as often as we can. It's just not quite as easy to, A, find the right guys, and then, B, make the scheduling work. But we're, we're certainly going to try to keep that trend up each and every week this season. But, uh, Zach, what's your answer for Eclipse here on the Isaac Yadam front? Is this just a... You know, you want to talk about an outlier. Was that an outlier? Because he looked way better in preseason and and during training camp than what he ended up showing last week in the opener. Well, I've never been the biggest Yadam fan, and I will allow that he played really well this preseason. I don't necessarily think week one was the the barometer for what he, he can do this season. As a whole, I just feel this is a game where the Broncos will settle down. They'll come to themselves more, play good defense. The offense will get on the board. Um, I just see a lot of the problems from last week kind of evaporating this week, and it shows you how much parity there is week to week in the NFL, and all the fans that are jumping off the ledge this week won't be next week. Uh, He will look better. That's my prediction for Yadam in a week-to-week basis. I think he'll look better against Chicago, if only because Chicago doesn't have the same uh, pass-catching weapons as Oakland does. It's at home. It's an easier opponent with a worse quarterback. I just think the secondary and the coaching, everything will just settle down and come together more, and that will include Yadam. All right, next question here comes from Quinton S., 
interesting question for a Broncos podcast, but he wants to know, will the Raiders be able to stop the Chiefs this year? Might as well answer it because we just got an up-close look at the Raiders. And even though the, the Chiefs won in Jacksonville, Patrick Mahomes looked a little bit more mortal. You know, he looked a little bit more down to earth. Now, I'm not saying he's going to have some kind of regressive year three and year two as a starter, but he looked a little bit more mortal. It looked like a team that has a little bit more foibles than how bulletproof they appeared to be at times last season. With what you saw, Zach, from the Raiders playing extremely complimentary football against the Broncos, balanced on both sides, do you think they have a shot against the Chiefs this year? Well, from what I saw in week one, it looks like it's going to be the year of the injury, Chad. Unfortunately, there's just so many issues going on around the league. Um, Mahomes was banged up in that game. They just lost Tyree Kill. Uh, if that continues, I mean, you never know. All you need is one advantage, and the Raiders did look like they'll be a more competitive team this year, something we've been talking about for a long time now. I don't know if they're going to be on top of the AFC West this year, Oakland, but I think they'll be in those games more. I don't think they'll get blown out, and they certainly have, I think, the offense to hang with Mahomes. I still think Kansas City, though, if they can stay healthy and Tyreek Hill comes back, they will take the division, but uh, it should be a little more competitive in 2019. I agree. The Raiders are going to be more of a force to be reckoned with this year, and that includes when they go head-to-head against the Chiefs and the Chargers. All right, next question here comes from Sheldon Hunt. He says, how do you think the Broncos can improve going into this game, and how do you see them getting Noah Fant and Emmanuel Sanders more involved? And as, as he points out there, you know, with Sanders, the Broncos did not get him involved until the fourth quarter. And part of that was because Gary and Conley had gone down with that kind of scary neck injury, friendly fire from uh, Jonathan Abram. So there is a correlation there. <clears throat> Didn't appear that Flacco was really looking his way too often because the number one corner was lined up mostly against Sanders. But to answer that question first, I think you just got to make a point of it. And with Noah Fant, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, you can't get cute like we saw from Rich Scangarello in that first snap, you know, trying to give him a jet sweep. Just play to his strengths. Don't try and get yep. cute. And Fant, you know, he was he was not explosive, obviously, in that first game, but there was a couple of plays, including that seam route that Flacco hit him perfectly down the left seam where he picked up like 20 yards. Phillip Lindsay picked up a blitzing linebacker. That's what Noah Fant can do for you. You know, he's got that huge frame athletic uh, ability and the, the wingspan to just – completely box out the defender on that type of an angle to the ball. There's so much the Broncos can do. So we can only hope that they get both those guys more involved. And then as far as improving, Zach, I mean, I, we've already talked about defensively. If you if you can play better football on first and second down and get your opponent into some third and eights, you know, some third and nines or longer, you're significantly going to improve your odds of not only getting to the quarterback and then getting off the field on third down, but also wreaking some havoc and perhaps creating some turnovers on that side of the ball. The other thing just comes to on when you get to the offense, Zach, this team has to be able to close and they have to be able to start a lot faster. You cannot, I mean, that's the biggest thing that was to me shades of 2017, 2018 was how it took the offense till the third quarter to find a groove. Yeah, on offense, uh, we talked about it on the pod, the, the gut reaction pod, and Scangarello talked about it today. They cannot be afraid to get Emmanuel Sanders going, and they cannot wait until the fourth quarter when they're down to start opening up the playbook. I don't want any sort of cutesy plays. I don't want east and west football. I want north and south football. Take some shots down the field. Loosen up that Bears defense. Keep uh, Khalil Mack at bay with quick passes, and that'll open up the running game for Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. If they can just do those things on offense, I know it's easier said than done. It, you'll just see such a dramatic improvement from what you 
saw against the Raiders. On defense, they got to you know save their lanes, wrap up tackles, not get beaten down the field on passing plays, and they have to win their one-on-ones. And this game falls a lot more on Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. They they are talked about as being better than Khalil Mack, and I think they consider themselves collectively to be better. They have to prove it this week. It's it's a head-to-head matchup, and Miller and Chubb literally were were ghosts against the Raiders. They have to show up this week. So if just the stars can come back and align for Denver, if the players they brought in to make plays can actually make plays, uh, they will improve, and then I think they will get the win this week. All right, next question here comes from LF on YouTube. He says, why do you think Corey Nelson got the start over Justin Hollins or A.J. Johnson. In my eyes, Nelson was not good at all. I don't think he was great either, LF, as I mentioned in the first segment there. You know, he had uh, – and, and you, you got to give him some credit, though. I mean, he came in in a nine-day period, eight-day period, whatever it was, and literally crammed Fangio's scheme well enough for the coaches to feel confident to put him out there not only as a starter but to play 80-something-odd percent of the snaps. The key here why they started him over Hollins or Johnson – when push comes to shove and the chips are down, NFL coaches are going to go with the veteran 10 times out of 10. You know, unless there's some GM, you know, pulling political strings, trying to get the rookie or a younger guy that they have some stock in playing time, coaches are always going to gravitate to the veterans because that's who they can trust. They feel like that's who they can count on. They've been in situations. They know what to expect, and they can lean on these guys. That's the only explanation why Corey Nelson got the start over Alexander Johnson or Justin Hollins, but especially Johnson, who played the the position 100% for Fangio all through the spring and the summer. Yeah, I think that contributes to it. I don't think Fangio was necessarily blown away by what he saw from uh, Alexander Johnson or Josh Watson or Hollins or anyone, and that's why they signed a veteran in Nelson who uh, can do more things on defense. And that's why we talked about earlier in the pod, when Davis comes back, he's not a necess- he's not a great player, but he can do enough on first and second down, where then you can rotate to Nelson on third down, you can rotate Hollins in. It just gives you more versatility and more depth. So when they get healthier, um, I think these problems that you're seeing uh, highlighted with Nelson on the field so much, that won't be an issue because he won't be on the field so much. All right, this one comes from Klaus Klaus on YouTube. He says, hey guys, hope you are fine. I still try to forget that Oakland game. I would like to know what you guys think about our special teams play and if it is maybe time for Fangio to find another special teams coach. Our coverage unit looked bad, and especially at this second-to-last kickoff return where our defense had to stop the Raiders, they returned the ball to our 30-yard line and kicked an easy field goal. Or is it on Fangio that he missed to make it absolutely clear that Brandon McManus has to kick the ball out of the end zone so the Raiders have zero chance to return the ball? Thanks, guys. Let's get back to 1-1 and against the Bears. What's your answer? I mean, Tom McMahon in year two with the Broncos – uh, you know, he replaced Brock Olivo, who was the original special teams hire under Vance Joseph. In came McMahon in year two of the VJ regime, stabilized things somewhat. You saw better play from McManus, marginally anyway. You saw a little bit better play from the returners, not so many fumbles. Isaiah McKenzie was gone. But the return coverage has kind of persisted as being the big thorn in, in Denver's side on special teams anyway. Uh, if the question is whether the Broncos are going to you know, get rid of McMahon in season, that would take just a catastrophic breakdown, collective failure each and every week and, and more than the last. It would take multiple muffs or multiple punt return touchdowns allowed for that to happen. Barring anything surprising, he will get the, the rest of the year. And we just have to hope that the players they picked on this 53 now are the ones that can 
help them in those problem areas. I think Spencer's a good punt returner. I think they're getting better on punt coverage, incrementally at least, and McManus looked good against the Raiders. Wobbin had a, a few nice punts, so they should settle down too. McMahon, he might have, we might have over gotten over our skis, as we like to say, Chad, about him just initially, but I think as time goes on, he'll prove to be at least a competent coordinator for this team. All right, last question, then we got to get out of here. This one comes from Ben Buchanan on YouTube. He says, do you guys think the way we played against Oakland will be consistent all season? Or do you think we'll find our rhythm and get things going? I know we had some injuries that game, but the way we played against Oakland wasn't fun to watch. That's from Ben. I really don't. I think, look, I think the next two to three, two to three games, okay, to start this year. So the first two or three games out of the gates, this team is figuring itself out acclimating to the the players are trying to learn the the different schemes the new players that starting quarterback the starters on the o-line the starters on defense everyone's kind of figuring out you, you used a good word there rhythm where they fit how they fit getting everything down and just really getting up to speed by the time they get out of this first quarter of the season i think you're going to see this broncos defense playing in a way that is more reflective of the vic fangio ethos but it's going to take a little time, and it's they're going to have to work out some kinks and still try and find a way to, even when they're not playing their best ball and even when everyone's not on the same page as everyone's getting up to speed, they still got to try and win some games. And I think the home games in particular in this stretch are crucial, which is why week two, you know, I know it's a it's an NFC opponent, so in the playoff scheme it's a little less important. Every game's important when you only have 16 games. But as an NFC opponent, it's a little bit less uh, vital in terms of the playoff formulation but they still have to win this one because as they're getting their legs under them, as they're working out the kinks, going through some trial and error, learning about each other and getting everything down, it's the home games that they really have to capitalize on, Zach. And I do think that this isn't indicative of how this team is going to play throughout the season, but you still have to have some expectations mitigated a little bit and understand it's going to take a little time to, to get things firing on all cylinders. Whenever we get this question, I like to bring up the 2007 Giants and talk about how you can start a season so bad and just go on a run and and getting hot at the right time is what matters. The Broncos, this game won't matter 14 weeks from now. It won't even matter three weeks from now. I mean, if if the Broncos start winning, it's, it's week one is just immaterial. It doesn't stand out. It's it's um it's not purposeful when you look at the grand picture of the season. I don't think they're going to be as bad as that game again. Then again, though, if they blow out the Bears, let's say, I don't think they'll be as good as that game either. I think they're somewhere in the middle. And that's why I've been saying all offseason, I wouldn't predict playoffs. I would stop just short of that considering all the new moving parts on this team, all the new fresh faces. If they can go 8-8, eight and eight, I know it's a, a fence-straddling prediction, but if they can go 8-8, eight and eight, Considering what we saw in week one and considering all the new changes and, and, and maneuvers they made, I think that would be a successful season. They will get better as time goes on, and they all can form some chemistry, and that could start happening this week. But if they blow out the Bears, that's not going to be indicative either. I mean, they're going to just a team that's still learning a lot of things, and they're right now an average, an average ball club, I'd say. The thing that the team has to guard against, and there's some encouraging developments on this front that I'm about to talk about here, is they have to guard against the murmurings and not allowing themselves to buy in and trying to point fingers and blame each other when things don't go perfectly. And from what I've been told by guys who were in the locker room last week following that Oakland game is that that's not the vibe they were getting. Guys were holding each other accountable. They were standing up to the plate and taking responsibility for the way things shook out. And I think if they can maintain that kind of, you know, man up, so to speak, and be accountable and continue to prove that they're they're bought into Fangio's 
um, you know, his, his system, his, his ethos, his whole entire philosophy, it'll eventually work itself out. And I think by midseason, as Zach said, you'll see this team, you know, find itself. Now, whether or not with how tough this schedule is, that's, they're, they're going to have enough wherewithal to make the playoffs, that remains to be seen. But I think that that's encouraging at least that, hey, these guys aren't dropping their eyes, you know, they're new, they're you-know-what's in the dirt, hanging their heads, pointing the finger. That's not what's happening. And frankly, Zach, I think last week was a wake-up call. This is something that people need to understand is under VJ, you know, the Broncos in the, in the first quarter of both of VJ seasons, they came out hot. Not only did they win their openers, but they were like 3-1, and one, I believe, both seasons to open up. And it might have been 2-2 two and two last year. I can't remember for sure. But either way, they started hot the first couple of games. And in that sense, it, it kind of masked what the real issues were on that team. And in this case, it's kind of like coming out against a prize fighter and getting popped in the mouth right away. It's a gut check. It's a wake-up call. And it allows the team to examine itself more objectively and go, look, okay, we got a ways to go. Let's not buy our own press clippings. Let's not buy into the hype about, all, you know, Vic Fangio, new sheriff in town. All these defensive players are going to be all pros. Look, we still got a long ways to go. I would rather that wake-up call, Zach, come in week one than it comes in week four or five and then see a team go through a slide for three or four games in the middle of the season when you can't afford to be going through a slide. That's when you need to be hitting kind of a groove and learning and figuring out who you are. I'm actually, in a weird sense, the silver lining is it can be, if the team approaches it the right way, that first game and kind of being embarrassed, that could be a good thing for the spiritual well-being of this team for 2019. Right. It could happen at a, at a worse time, say week 10 or week 12, the wheels could fall off completely and they can be in contention. I mean, uh, that would be uh, not ideal. You'd rather this the Kings get out now in week one. You would think they would get out after five preseason games, but uh, I'd rather happen in week one, let them push forward and build off that. And now they're um, grounded. Now they're down to planet Earth and on the ground and, and face down in the grass and realizing we have no expectations about us anymore surrounding us. What little hype there was with this defense and with Joe Flacco is gone now. We just have to play our game, get back to our strengths, and and ride that disrespect angle. There's a reason people like Adam Rank predicted 2-14. and 14. They didn't see this team doing anything. They have to start playing like they care enough to prove those people wrong and use that as motivation. All right. Well, it's going to be fun to see how this team you know, whether or not they can turn it around from a energy, from an intensity, from an emotional standpoint, because we know the talent's there. We know the wherewithal from a coaching and a schematic perspective is there. But do they want it? How badly do they want to turn the ship around? And it's going to be really fun to see how much and whether or not this team can rally for Fangio, especially going against his former team and, and going against Bryce Callahan's former team. And it's going to be fun to see. But you guys, that's going to do it for Zach and I this week. Thanks for all of you guys tuning in, downloading the show, sharing it out on social media. We appreciate everybody, all your questions in the Mile High Mailbag. Appreciate you guys. You're going to have a podcast waiting for you tomorrow, Building the Broncos, of course. We'll have the Scouts Eye Preview rocking and rolling for you on Saturday. And then Eric and Lance of the Dove Valley Deep Divers, they'll have an episode waiting for you first thing Sunday to kick off your game day. And then, of course, Zach and I will return for the gut reaction immediately following Broncos versus Bears. So until then, you guys, have a great weekend. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, Zach on Twitter, at KelbermanNFL, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Have yourselves that good weekend, and we will see you on the other side. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.